You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Verses 27 through 38. If you'd like, take a moment to turn there with me. There are Robert's cues. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And please stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Again, it's Mark 8, 27 to 38. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God, the people of God. Uh, Well, good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. As I said, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are new, uh, really glad you're here. Um, we're doing a sermon series in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And um, we're actually doing it backwards. So it's a little odd. Um, but uh, it was inspired by the movie uh, Memento. And um, that movie, if you've seen that movie, it, uh, it goes in reverse order. So um, you start in that movie... Uh, with the very first thing that happened, uh, very last thing that happened in the story, and then the movie goes backwards and ends with the very first thing that happens in a story. So we thought it'd be cool if we tried to do the, uh, the Gospel of Mark in the same way. 
And I found it helpful. I don't know, uh, those of you who've been with us, uh, I don't know if you found it helpful, but uh, to me, it's just helped me to think about the structure of how um, ingeniously um, Mark has organized uh, this gospel, this story, the story of Jesus. It's the first, um, first of the stories of Jesus written. So it's the earliest gospel. And um, we are now at the point in the gospel that if you folded the gospel in half, we're at that midway point. So this is halfway through the story. Uh, it's the hinge of, of the gospel. And what we have in this story tonight is um, the mission of Christ. So we, we've looked. So what we're doing tonight is we've, we, we've now come to the point where Jesus has revealed who he is. So Mark 1 through 8 is who he is. It's a, just all these stories that tell us uh, the nature of Christ, who this person is. And then in chapter 8, uh, we turn to what he's here for, what he's come to do. So as soon as they find out who he is, as soon as he reveals uh, the nature of who he is, um, the Messiah, then from that point on, you see his mission. So we've been looking at that. And if you go back, we've, we've looked at his mission was to, uh, to die and rise from the grave. And pretty much all these stuff, all these different sermons we've been looking at, they point to that reality. And not only did he die and rise from the grave, his his followers also have to follow in his footsteps. Um, that also defines their mission, um, which is to die and rise, to die to self and rise. Um, so that's what we're looking at tonight. This is the first time that, um, that, that anyone has, has learned who this, this mysterious man was. Um, uh, this, is, this is like when, you know, when Spider-Man finally takes off uh, his suit and people realize it's Peter Parker. Like this is the first time they're like, oh my gosh, you're the Messiah. Uh, and it's Peter. It's Peter is the one that, that is the first to discover who he is. And um, as soon as Peter finds out who he is, he completely blows it. And uh, he, he is completely wrong. He, re, he rebukes Jesus for being the kind of Messiah that Jesus is going to be. Um, so that's the point at which Jesus says, let me tell you what I've come to do. Now that you know that I'm the Messiah, um, I'm going to tell you what I've come here to do. And that's where uh, Peter says, um, you must not go uh, and die and be rejected. Um, you, you must not do those things. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, th- I, this is why I have come. Verse 31, you see both the identity and the mission. The son of man must suffer be rejected, killed, and rise. So if you're not a Christian, if you don't know much about Christianity, I'm glad you're here tonight. This kind of gets you to the very heart of it. Um, that the Son of Man, which is the most exalted title for the Messiah in the Old Testament, uh, it is a depiction of God riding on the clouds, coming in to destroy all the empires of the world. Uh, the kingdom of our God um, will take uh, over the, uh, the empires, reign over all the empires of the world. That's the son of man. And it says the son of man in verse 31 must suffer, be rejected, killed and rise. So that's that astonishing essence of the gospel is that God incarnate, the son of God, son of man, uh, actually won the victory over evil by uh, suffering, rejection and death. And so now what we're going to look at tonight is um, where Jesus says, and so you now also need to be... um, Rejected, uh, suffer, and die. Because not only does Jesus win the victory that way, that's how you win the victory as well. So, you know, welcome to Christianity 101. Um, that our, our job is, uh, is, is not to climb higher and higher and higher on the pyramid. 
we talked about this last week, but to, to, to drop down the funnel and go to the very bottom of things and meet our Savior. So in verse 35, you see both of these things very succinctly. Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you try to save your life, try to grab a hold of your life and cling to your life, cling to your false self, um, try to establish your identity yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you give that up, if you just release that, um, then Christ will give you a new life. He will give you his life. So um, those two things, trying to save your life, which is the wrong thing to do, and then being willing to lose your life and let him give you a life. So uh, first of all, verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. So again, this, this is basically, you're diving into the story of what Jesus did. He, he said, I will suffer, be rejected, and die. And so now that's what you get to do also. Uh, that's how I won the victory. That's how you will win the victory. And um, trying to save your life is trying to escape the, the, the very unique victory uh, of God, which is through these crazy things uh, of rejection, suffering, death. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to criticize uh, other churches, uh, other uh, denominations, um, but as far as the prosperity gospel goes, uh, it, is, it is the absolute antithesis of this. So if any of you know uh, about the prosperity gospel, uh, Joel Osteen, uh, where um, it, it, you will receive uh, health and wealth and your life will go well uh, if you follow Christ, it is, that is not true. That is a false gospel. And it is devastating to the American church that people believe that, that we're going to find those things here. Um, because what he actually says is, uh, is no, you, um, that's what Peter thought, by the way. He believed in the prosperity gospel. That's, how, that's why he rebuked Jesus. Uh, verse 32, he took him aside and began to rebuke him because he could not believe, Peter could not believe that actually the way that you gain the victory over evil and join the kingdom is by uh, suffering, being rejected, and dying to yourself. Like that's just not what the human heart thinks. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuking someone is an immoral indictment. It's like, you're wrong. Um, You are wrong, Jesus, to talk of suffering and rejection and death like this. That is wrong. Um, It's like when when I I thought to myself uh, many times this past year, two years, uh, Lord, it is wrong for you to let me suffer like this. This is not right. This is not good. I'm here. I'm a pastor. I'm trying to serve you. Uh, and you're letting this happen to me? This is wrong. And that's what Peter's doing. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought, um, all of us, I think, we think uh, suffering, rejection, death, that could, that's not the victory. That's what we're supposed to have victory over. We're supposed to have victory over suffering, rejection, and death. Um, it's supposed to be exactly the opposite of those things, we think. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, if you want to save your life like that, you're going to lose it. Uh, that's, that's the path of destruction. It's trying to cling to that life. Um, and it's, this, is, this is such a dangerous spiritual condition uh, that Jesus does something he never does. When Peter starts rebuking him, Jesus turns away from Peter. Now, I don't think there's another time in the gospel where he does that. So he's talking to Peter and he turns away from Peter. It says in verse 33, he turned from Peter and he faced the disciples because he just can't handle what's happening with Peter. Um, And he turns to them and then he says, uh, get behind me, Satan. 
Now, I've been rebuked before. Um, when I first preached my first sermon, a lady came up to me right after the sermon and said, she said, you need to get some backbone. You need, you need to learn how to be a man from the pulpit. Um, she has died uh, subsequently. <laughs> um, somebody said, uh, you're, you're failing in your attempts to plant this church, Salem Presbyterian Church, uh, and you, uh, you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, publicly, I was rebuked by this person. Uh, those, those are really hard things uh, to be rebuked about. I'm sure you've all been rebuked. Uh, again, it's a moral indictment. You're doing the wrong thing. Um, but, you know, with those two people, I could dismiss them as kind of, well, that's just, yeah, that was her and that was him. But with Peter, he's being rebuked by Jesus. He can't dismiss it. Um, and it's the ultimate rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. I, mean, I cannot imagine Uh, what Peter would have felt like at that moment. But what I imagine is that Jesus is seen beyond Peter's eyes, behind Peter, um, kind of like the burning red eye of Sauron, you know, the Mordor, uh, the Lord, the dark Lord. It's like he's seen behind Peter to this other evil that is there, and he just turns away from it. And if you know the Lord of the Rings story, um, Frodo is constantly tempted by the burning eye of Mordor to just to clutch the ring, to put the ring on and gain control. And that's exactly what is happening to Jesus. He's being tempted by Satan to save his life, uh, to grab a hold of his life, to be a, a warlike conquering Messiah who would go into Jerusalem and destroy Rome. And he could have done it. He could have easily taken over the entire earth. He could have called down armies of angels. He could have set up his reign on earth. No problem at all. It wouldn't have cost him anything. And he says, that's not the way. Uh, that is not the way to destroy the ring of power. It's going, to res- it's going to involve suffering. It's going to involve rejection. It's going to involve death. And the reason um, verse 33 is, is so intense, uh, the reason that the rebuke is so intense is because verse 33 is so important. Uh, this, is, this, this is so important. Uh, basically, he, he, Jesus is saying to Peter, when you rebuke me, Peter, and you, when you hate the kind of Messiah that I am, um, you are setting your mind it's a mindset. You're setting your mind on the things of man or humans or humanity or humankind. You're setting your, your mind on, on human things and not on the things of God. And the things of man, the way that Peter was thinking was what we've been talking about, this pyramid of pride, um, where the goal in life is to be number one. So it's a pyramid, like a pyramid scheme. You're always trying to reach the top. I keep repeating this because it's so important. It's so essential to the nature of the kingdom. And we all try to get up there be number one. We want to be number one. We want to defeat everyone around us. We want to be an influencer. We want to best others, be the smartest, the wittiest, the richest, the hottest. We want to be at the very top of the pyramid. We're trying to get people underneath us to look up to us and admire us. We, we use others. We treat them as instruments of our pleasure. That is, that is the empire. That's the pyramid of power. And, and that's the things of man. He says that's what humans think like. But he says the things of God are the opposite of that. It's that funnel of humility where you, you jump in and you disappear. Uh, you know, I, I quoted uh, Count Zinzendorf, who was the, the one who started the Moravians. He said, uh, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's the, that's the funnel. You, you just jump in, you serve, you lift up others, you're forgotten, um, you look up to people, you admire them, you praise them, uh, you don't try to get them to praise you. Uh, You deny yourself immediate gratification. You do not get what you want immediately. You do not insist on your own way. That's the things of God. And he rebukes Peter because he says, that's that's the way of Satan. 
The way that you're thinking about things. When you want me to go and conquer the Roman Empire, you're thinking in the way of Satan. So setting your mind, it's interesting how setting your mind, um, you know, psychologists know, uh, especially cognitive behavioral therapists, that your mindset is everything. Um, in fact, there's a very famous book written 16 years ago by uh, a Stanford psychologist named Carol Dweck. And it was called Mindset. And it, uh, it made the rounds um, all through the business world. Um, there were over a million copies sold. The New Psychology of Success is what the book was called, uh, which sounds like an empire title, but, but it's, a, it's a good book. And the thesis of the book is that there's two kinds of mindsets we can have. There's a, there's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset, you're threatened by others' success, um, you're focused on being validated, you crave certainty, and you crack under failure, which sounds very similar uh, to, to trying to save your life, where you're focused on yourself, you're clutching your ego. That's, the fixed, that's what Dweck calls the fixed mindset. Um, and then there's the growth mindset, where you learn from the success of others. You're not jealous of them. Um, you're focused on learning. When you get critiqued or rebuked, you say, okay, tell me more. I want to learn more. Um, you crave challenge. You grow under failure. It's, uh, it's, not, it's letting the ego go. That's losing your life. And so um, the idea is that Satan is out there. You're not alone. Um, he's watching you. And uh, he wants you to try to save your life. He wants you to try to cling to your life. Uh, he wants you to try to seize your life, to armor yourself, protect yourself, um, to, to grab a hold of, am I noticed? Am I popular? Am I important? Am I beautiful? Am I making an impact? Thinking about yourself. And Jesus is here to say, let it go. Because if you try to save your life, you're going to lose your life. So let it go. Release it. It's killing you. It's killing you. That's the first point is... Um, when you try to save your life, you lose it. The second point is whenever you try to lose your life or whenever you let your life go, um, you will save it. As, as soon as you realize that, you will save it. If anyone would come after me, verse 34, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's the same idea. Deny yourself, take up your cross, be willing to suffer, be willing to be rejected, be willing to die to yourself. There was a really famous movie called uh, The Passion of the Christ. 2004, I think it came out. Mel Gibson directed it. It got really uh, strongly critiqued for being anti-Semitic and for being very gory. It was a depiction of the last, uh, the last few hours of Christ's life, his passion, his crucifixion. It was very graphic. It's hard to watch. Uh, I've never left a theater where it was more silent than that one. Nobody said a word. We just sat there for like 10 minutes. So if you ever want to watch that, you should... Do it, um, you know, preparing yourself for what you're about to see. But it's called The Passion. It was so big that uh, Redeemer, where I was a pastor, a big church, um, I was one of the assistants there, and they had a huge, they had a gathering about this big, just to talk about, and, and like, we need to uh, debrief The Passion. So we were all gathered there, there were different opinions. There was a guy named Rob, who loved it. And Rob said, uh, it reminded me that we're all called to suffer and die with Christ. And then a guy named Jim rebuked Rob. I remember this. He stood up and rebuked him. He said, no, he suffered for us so that we didn't have to suffer. That's what Jim said. And I remember sitting there thinking, um, if Jesus were there, I'm pretty sure he would go with Rob because he said, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Um, that's, 
That's the point, is we join Christ. Uh, not that you, you don't earn anything by suffering. You don't earn your salvation. But Jesus didn't suffer so that you wouldn't have to suffer. Um, that's not true. He, he calls you into union with him, union with oneness with Christ. And in doing that, you, you join him in his suffering. Now, we'll be really careful about one thing. Um, when I say um, you're supposed to lose your life, uh, I am not saying, and Jesus was not saying, be miserable for my sake. And there is this, uh, there is this idea out there, and I've been a, I have imbibed this myself. Um, it's an idea that kind of like the most spiritual thing is to enjoy yourself the least. And so whatever gives you pleasure, that's suspect. Like if anything gives you, like I love half and half iced tea, half sweet, and if, and if I have half sweet, half unsweet tea, that's very suspect. Like I need to really keep an eye on that because it gives me too much pleasure. That's a dangerous theology. Um, that, that is self-denial. I had a friend um, who did all these amazing things for God, uh, missionary, uh, lived in the most difficult places on earth, no running water, blazing heat, uh, Peace Corps, death threats. Um, this guy was off the charts. You know, he was doing everything right for the Lord. But one day he told me, he said, Ben, I, I really made a lot of mistakes because I thought that what Jesus wanted most for me is whatever I wanted least. And that's not true. Because he actually is appealing to your self-interest here. I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus is appealing to your self-interest. In the passage that is most about dying to yourself, he actually talks about profit. So what he's saying is, I want you to profit. I want you to be profitable. I want you to be wealthy. I want you to be affluent. What does it profit you, verse 36, if you gain the whole world and you get rich and beautiful and you make a ton of money and you're influential and you have this huge impact and everybody loves you and praises you, what, is it, what does it profit you? How, how, how wealthy really are you um, if you have all that stuff but you do not have your soul, that you forfeit your soul? He's appealing to your self-interest. And he's saying, uh, I want you to lose your old pyramid life so that you can be happy, so that you can be joyful, so that you can be rid of that self, rid of that horrible self that's always trying to get people to notice it. He wants you to die to this clinging, grasping self that is lusting and greedy and stingy and arrogant and self-righteous and proud. And he wants you to restore your true self. Get rid of that false self. Take off all those ugly clothes that you've dressed yourself up in and like strutting around like a peacock and just enjoy who I made you to be. Enjoy uh, who you are in me. That's your true self. There is a true self out there. And um, it's, not, it's not what we define ourselves. We cannot define who we are. That's, that's kind of the myth is, the myth is, well, don't let other people tell you who you are. You define who you are. That's our culture. Don't let them tell you who you are uh, you figure out who you are and you tell people who you are. That's not, that's not Christianity. Christianity is let Christ define you. Uh, find yourself in union with him. The only way you're going to know who you are is when you know who you are in Christ. With another person. We can never define ourselves autonomously. It's always with another person. It's face to face. And so Paul says in verse uh, Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's the true self. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live face to face with Christ. 
That's my true self. And so Jesus says in verse 35, if you want to lose your life for my sake, you will save it. And the for my sake is the most important part of the passage. It's, it's with me. Um, it's not just lose your life, period. It's lose your life for my sake in union with me. Um, lose your life that is built on this massive cavity of loneliness. This massive cavity of aloneness and isolation. Lose that life. And then gain this life that is built on my passion for you, for my sake. Lose your life for my sake, to be with me, to be in a relationship with me. Verse 36 is just blatantly romantic. Uh, Blatantly romantic. I love it when God calls us adulterers. Uh, Those are some of my favorite parts. Like, I love Hosea. I love Hosea because it's all about how God's people are, are adulterers. That we're committing adultery on him. And what does that imply about God? That he is a jealous lover. That he loves you. That he hates to see you um, cheating on him. Uh, Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me in verse 38. Don't be adulterous. Don't, don't say you don't know me. I love you too much. Do not pretend like you don't know me because I, you are my lover. Um, I want you for myself. I'm jealous for you. Don't be adulterous. And this is getting into more and more what it means for my sake. He's saying, um, now we see in a mirror dimly. But one day we're going to see face to face. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see like in a, in a mirror that's very a bad mirror. Back then the mirrors were like made of bronze. You could barely see yourself. One day we're going to see him face to face. And that's when you're going to know who you really are. You cannot know who you are until you know yourself looked at by Jesus. That's when you find yourself. Um, one of my favorite songs is by Peter Gabriel. I love Peter Gabriel. Uh, his live album is absolutely amazing. Uh, I highly recommend uh, Peter Gabriel's live album. But you know, my favorite song on that album is In Your Eyes. If you've, uh, if you've seen the movie Say Anything, uh, classic 80s movie. Um, John Cusack, uh, romance, uh, rom-com, great, great movie. Uh, in that movie, uh, In Your Eyes features prominently. Uh, his love, uh, he holds up this giant boombox and plays In Your Eyes for his... His girlfriend is up in the uh, second story. It's like Romeo and Juliet on the balcony, but he's playing In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. But the song is not a song about romance. Peter Gabriel wrote that song inspired by an African traditional, which is about a worshiper's love for God. And if you, if you listen to the lyrics, and I really recommend you, if you don't know that song, I would recommend you play that song. Um, this is what the lyrics go in the chorus. In your eyes, the light, the heat... In your eyes, I am complete. In your eyes, I see the doorway to a thousand churches. In your eyes, I see the resolution of all of my fruitless searches. I want to touch the light and the heat that I see in your eyes. Now, that's a song about someone and their God. Uh, As the psalmist says, Psalm 27, 8, you say to me, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. I mean, that's the essence of, of all true faith is I want to seek your face. And I know that you want me to seek your face. And we are face to face, you know, like centimeters apart, noses touching, eyes locked, like the most romantic moment right before that kiss. I mean, that's what the Bible says we can have with our God is that level of, of intimacy. So we're going to take this supper now. Uh, this is the victory over the false self. 
Uh, this is the, 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 the naked, lonely, shivering self being swallowed up in passionate love. This is the table of a lover so passionate that all of our defenses are melted like cobwebs in his presence. Who fights through your betrayal. Because I want you. Betray me or not. Adulterous or not. I want you. And I will come for you. And I'm going to wear down your adulterous heart until you finally uh, fall in love with me as much as I'm in love with you. And that's what we celebrate at this table. Remember, we love these rascals.